Episode 20 of the podcast is with Tim and Jacko from the School of Calisthenics. When we first set this podcast up, we said that we're going to have numerous practitioners on the podcast, not just sports scientists and strength conditioning coaches involved in football, but other people that can help you improve your practice. And I thought it was really good to get these guys on who are the masters in what they do in terms of calisthenics uh, and the programs they provide. So they spoke about what calisthenics are. They spoke about how they can be incorporated into your program, how they benefit performance on the pitch, and also their work with uh, Preston goalkeeper or Preston goalkeeper at the time, Chris Maxwell, and also the difference between football and how other uh, sports approach strength training or strength conditioning. Thank you very much for all the feedback that we've had on the podcast, the previous podcast with Mike Boyle. There's been some great comments and feedback, so I really appreciate it. If you could do us a massive favour, head over to iTunes, leave us a review, and let us know what you enjoyed most about that episode. The guys also gave us a discount on their virtual classroom, so I'll go into more detail at the end of the episode. So to receive that, check out the end of the episode and you'll see exactly what you need to do to get the discount on the virtual classroom and all the information that they put out on that. We have some network meetings being confirmed very soon, so we hope to bring them to you as soon as possible. So keep an eye out for those. And I hope you enjoy the episode with Tim and Jacko. Welcome to episode 20 of the Football Fitness Federation podcast. Today, I'm joined by Tim and Jacko from School of Calisthenics. How are you guys doing? Yeah, good. Thanks, Ben. Thanks for having us on. This is our first football podcast. So this is an exciting day for us. Soccer. There you go. Multi-sport now. Multi-sport, multi-talented. <laughs> yeah, we're just getting everywhere these days. And I know, do you want to get in early, the fact that you have appeared on Match of the Day? Or do you want to save that? We can, it's up to you're the host. I mean, we can talk about it now. We were featured with um, what was dubbed as Britain's strongest goalkeeper. Is that what they dubbed that's, it as? Well, I think that's what uh, 442, which we also were featured in, <laughs> called it. It was, it was the match of the day Facebook page as opposed to we weren't on the sofa with Galinica. Unfortunately, we're still waiting for that call. Yeah. Matter of time. Just before we kick it off, I just want to know, do you practice um, speaking like this, like Ant and Deck, or does it just naturally come to you? It's natural, Ben. <laughs> you, can't, you can't teach this. <laughs> <laughs> so just to kick us off, obviously we've got a, a number of different listeners that in different roles. We have players, some coaches, technical coaches, some S&C, sports science, physios, a number of different people listening to the podcast. So to start with, what are calisthenics? Uh, so essentially, we're talking about mastering your own body weight. So it, it looks a little bit sort of like the strength components from some gymnastics movements. So we, we're talking muscle-ups, human flags, handstands, all body weight exercises. Um, yeah, and just looking at progressions of, of those things. The, the word calisthenics originally comes from two group, Greek words meaning beauty and strength. So it's effectively the art of, of beautiful, beautifully strong movement. Um, and, and yeah, we take that and, and manifest that in, in the forms of uh, these fairly sort of gravity-defying, iconic positions and movements of, that, that sort of show mastery of, of one's own body weight. And it's such a varied area that can mean everything from a pull-up or a push-up through to, as I say, these bigger movements, uh, levers and handstands and that sort of stuff. And, and it kind of goes on upwards from there. And it, it can become as advanced, really, as you want it to be, or it can be very basic and just um, accessible to anybody for a number of different sort of purposes or, or reasons, really. 
we were just chatting before we went live and I was I was saying about um, one of the reasons for getting you guys on was Sarri, the Chelsea manager's comments um, a few weeks back now about um, the players not strength training and that you don't use a barbell on the pitch. So can you guys go into that? And, and obviously not just in terms of football, but how would you approach that that approach from a coach? Crikey, this is a, <laughs> this could go anywhere. Well, it's funny. It's almost like we've done quite a bit of work in swimming and you, you have a little bit of, a, they call it uh, land-based work, would be their sort of gym-style thing. And uh, you'd, get a, you'd get a variety of thoughts on, um, on, on that side of the importance towards a swimmer. And someone like, I think, Gavin Peter. No, Gavin. Adam. Adam Peter. Who's Gavin Peter? He's also a very. <laughs> he's he's down in my local maths. <laughs> um, yeah, Adam Peter's done a great job in that to break some uh, misconceptions around like what weight training and what strength work um, can do for you um, as a swimmer, as an example. And it'd be similar with um, because I've seen other comments like Jamie Vardy before said that he doesn't do and if he does weights he he gets slower. And those of us that are uh, strength conditioning coaches would probably argue that if you are um, if you're doing something in the weight room that's making you slower, you, you're probably not doing the right thing because there's no doubt the fastest people in the world, whether they're NFL running backs, whether they're Usain Bolt, um, they 100% do a variety of strength conditioning work, which is going to include some like maximal strength lifting. Um, yeah, I think that often comes down to sort of the, the periodization of the strength and conditioning program. And, and if, it's, if it's a complete strength and conditioning program that is given due space and attention by both players and sports scientist team or sports science and medicine team and the manager. And, and what I mean by that is integrated fully into the program at the football club. So players are attending regularly. Coaches or strength and conditioning coaches are given time to put um, put things in place like we all know those of us that have worked in S&C for any time like, you know, it's not a six week process to try and get someone to run faster like, and you have to do some work which they're going to feel uncomfortable with depending on training background there may be a dip in performance but that all of that conversation has to happen with the manager going okay this is the time of the season that we're going to put this block of training in the gym because we're going to get X, Y and Z out of it so are you happy that that's, this is what's going to happen and like Jacko says in swimming there's a similar conversation with coaches there's, there's occasionally a fear of s see that it is changing um but that's partly i think because it's it's not really being understood from a coaching from a coach's perspective fully on what we're doing and also snc has evolved so much i think in the 10 11 years that i've been involved that we're not about lifting heavy weights all the time anymore that's a part of what we do i mean i've always talked about myself and people say what do you do i'm some strength and conditioning coach basically i coach movement and part of that is strength um, and I think that's where the conversation needs to go. But it's interesting, and Ben, you'll know this as well as anybody from, from your experience in SNC and football, but football is moving in the right direction, but it was a late mover in comparison to a lot of sports. It has taken a long time. And I think there's, with it has come um, my or belief systems or philosophies or theories that have been based on, on uh, practices of people's own experiences from years gone by and, and actually bring it into modern day with modern day sports science it's yeah to say that we don't lift barbells on the pitch is fair in that sense it has to be sport specific but there's many many ways of making strength training beneficial to football it, it just requires the right approach and then as i said before the integration into a complete program yeah i think we, i can speak for tim in saying that we believe as coaches it's definitely our job 
to get the buy-in from the players or the, the athletes that you were working with and the coach as to what you're what you're wanting to do with them. And if you can't persuade them and you haven't got good rationale and reason for doing uh, the, the types of forms of training that you want to do, what you think is best for them. If you, if you can't rationalize that for them when they say why, and you can't convince them, then either you need to work on your, that, that your skills, your communication skills, or you need to actually question, is it the right thing to be doing? Why is everyone else so against this thing that I think is going to be the greatest thing for them? Yeah. And I think it's interesting you're saying about, football um being behind behind some other sports in terms of strength conditioning because I, I really do agree with that i think it is it is slowly getting better but there's a lot of people in the game that still don't really understand um what snc coaches do and what they can bring to performance as well um and i think i think yeah go on mate sorry no i was just going to say I, I think that the comments from sari they they confuse a lot of people because suddenly um, a lot of coaches and technical coaches looked at it and said, well, Chelsea, Chelsea don't strength train, so uh, why should we do it? And it, was, it actually turned out later that they do, they do elements of strength training like every club does. It just They weren't lifting heavy barbells on the back and, and doing all the rest of it like a lot of clubs do. Yeah, I think some of it comes down to a bit of a cultural thing as well. And we've got players at the highest levels of football now that haven't done strength training to that in that form before. So they've come through and they've been successful footballers because of their athletic ability or technical skill or whatever it might be or, or their work capacity. And they've got to a point in their careers where actually they're earning enough money. Like they're doing, they're doing a good job and, and for someone to say, well, you actually now need to start back, back squatting. If they haven't got a training background or that hasn't been part of their training program since youth and academy level and they've made it to the top, I understand where they're coming from going, Do you know what, I've done all right without back squatting. I don't actually like back squatting. Um, but I think from what I've seen and not working in football myself, but as I understand it, academy programs, junior programs are taking a much more integrated approach towards their, their conditioning and their strength work and moving movement patterning and that sort of thing is being implemented at a younger age. So I, I think potentially as, as those players come through the system and if it's continued through um, into senior level, that we are going to see a group of players come through that have got a better approach or more rounded understanding of strength training. I don't know, is that something that you've seen, Ben, from, a, from an academy and junior level? Yeah, definitely. And it's something I used at the, at the club I was at. Um, and it was one thing we were just chatting before and Jacko used the exact phrase that I used. It was players getting used to handling their body, handling their body weight. And um, when you talk to coaches about about things like that and you talk in that way, it's a little bit more understandable for them. Um, so if they come into the gym or the hall or wherever you're working and you see players trying to trying to go into handstand, trying to do some hand balance work. Some some coaches come in and think, well, what are they doing? Like that's got mm. nothing to do with the game. But then if you can educate them and and teach them why and and how it can cross over onto the pitch, I think that's massive. Yeah. yeah. Well it's like you said, I think that um there's some misunderstanding in terms of just because somebody's not doing maximal strength weight lifting doesn't mean that they're not doing strength and conditioning um but then even if you took that to one side and said right imagine if Chelsea were doing absolutely none they're doing no S&C whatsoever and just go okay they're doing that the argument I believe to go I'm therefore not gonna do it because Chelsea aren't doing it is crazy because before Wenger took over at Arsenal 25 years ago whatever it was uh, you'll hear Lee Dixon and, and such like telling stories of they used to train in the morning 
go to the pub at lunch and get leathered. <laughs> and that's what they did every day. And some of them were alcoholics. And, that's, and they were doing all right. But it's not just because it doesn't mean that we aren't going to try and search for a way to find an extra one, two percent or even smaller mm-hmm. um, to do something that's, yeah, do you know I mean? in terms of making a decision based on just because someone else is doing it, isn't, that's not stretching and that's not trying to find, if you're, the, if you're the, in performance sport, you're trying to find ways to get extra little wins over people and say, why wouldn't you explore something like yeah. areas of S&C? And also just reduce the injury risk. That's the biggest thing. The guys in football, they play a lot. We need to be doing something in a program which has got a resistance training quality to it which is going to help them to to resist or to be more robust therefore be more resilient to injuries and um, that's a big part of what we see in, in swimming it is a slightly different thing but you think about the amount of load that we put through an upper body um, of, a, of the average swimmer potentially doing fifty thousand meters a week and upwards um, we need their shoulders to be robust and strength training is a really effective way of keeping them in the water and to be able to do their job. And I think the same applies for football. We need a certain level of basic foundation of strength just from an injury prevention perspective before we even think about what their 10 meter sprint time is going to be, but which is, incidentally will probably improve as a result of doing some of that work anyway, because you're just cleaning up biomechanics and you're getting them moving better, you're getting controlling movement better. Um, and I think, as you say, that the difference with it with it, Chelsea it turns out that they are doing something. It just depends on what you want to label it as. And if if the guys don't like strength training, call it whatever you want. If it's <laughs> lunges out on the park and the quads start burning, okay, well, with that we're still doing strength training, but they're now seeing it as conditioning and it's more football specific. That's fine. That's a coaching job. Wrap it up in whatever you need to to get the athlete to buy into the program. Um, and that's a part of the skill of, of what we have to do. If, if you've got a group of players or athletes that, that don't like being in the gym. Yeah, if you keep your star striker on the field because he doesn't get injured because he doesn't bust his shoulder when a defender pushes him over. Think of like Liverpool last year and with uh, Salah when he, he, he dislocated his shoulder. Did he dislocate his shoulder? He busted yeah, his shoulder. Um, yeah, I can't remember what the exact injury was, but it was something to do with his shoulder, yeah, when he fell. And we're not, we're not saying that if he could have, if he'd done, you know, would, he def- would you definitely stop that from happening because these things happen. But if you are creating a more robust... Uh, player and for shoulders wise in terms of falling and whatnot like through some uh, calisthenics based upper body work could that have an effect well yeah. whether it does or do, is we've got some um, evidence to back that up that you wouldn't why wouldn't you take a punt on your striker that's worth however many millions of pounds and whether he's on the field your chance of you winning go up dramatically yeah. as soon think, as he was off they had no chance of winning I think I once saw a, a talk it might have been at a conference where someone said what's the best way to win a, win a league have your best players available all, all the time, time. <laughs> yeah it's so yeah. true it's yeah. true <laughs> no that's bang on that is bang on and I think um, one of the key words there was, was players being robust um, I think coaches understand that a little bit more than, than talking about strength training as soon as you start talking about robustness and, and preventing injuries or helping to prevent injuries then that really makes sense to a coach um, how do you guys so you guys have worked in team sports as well and with team sport athletes and, and also some footballers too how do you incorporate uh, calisthenics into the S&C programs uh, yeah, it's an interesting one. I mean, in some sports, there's a lot more crossover. So if we talk about swimming, for example, then um, calisthenics has got a very clear transfer into that. Um, if we take things like we, I would do quite a bit of work with some wheelchair racers. Again, there's some benefits around shoulder health and performance. Um, I remember when I used to do more work with, with football teams at a university level or at sort of um, semi-professional. As I just to, to touch on the point I was saying before, like 
a lot of the guys are there because they want to play football and trying to get them in the gym out of a squad of players you might get four or five that enjoy being in the gym and ironically those guys would often be the ones that are performing very well consistently but I think from a calisthenics perspective one thing that we're big on is, is play um, and getting athletes to think about increasing their movement options so if we can wrap it up in something which is enjoyable so i first started using calisthenics in, in strength and conditioning programs and i used to put a box at the top of my training program that was just titled athletic development and all i was really focusing on was teaching them to move differently or setting them a movement challenge so that could be a frog stand which is a really easy hand balancing exercise and i just wanted to it wasn't really about introducing calisthenics and trying to sneak it in. It was more about just, I want to set you a challenge because if you, if you as an athlete have more movement options, when you're in a, a chaotic environment of a game or you, you, you're up against opposition and moving around or you're getting bumped about whatever sport it is and whatever the landscape looks like, you're just better equipped to be able to handle the demands of a game because you know how to move in different ways. If we only ever put players in the gym and they're on squats and pull-ups we're moving in the same plane all the time they get good at doing those exercises but like rugby is another good example you can get hit from anywhere football is exactly the same you might get tackled from a number of different directions someone's in the in the box is bumping you from different directions it's not it, calisthenics lends itself to moving in different ways which are not set in a rigid strength training environment that we might experience um as a, as a normal sort of like standard S&C program, if you want to call it that. So there's that side of things of just introducing athletic challenge. Um, we also, there's a lot of benefit of calisthenics of integrating human, the human body together. So because we're doing things on rings or we're doing um, potential balance exercises on our hands, um, or would you integrate in some form of strength and skill component, like to do some form of the lever progressions, um, you have to learn how to connect your hand to your foot. You have to learn how to integrate multiple joints create stability through the chain and to hold a position or form a shape um, and unless you can get those um, segments of the, of the kinetic chain lined up and unless you can activate all of those in the right sequence you can't do the movement it's very humbling in that sense as you have to get it right otherwise you literally just can't do it so the result of that is you then are, have some motivation if that end goal is attractive enough to actually go and work on the, the weak areas of your of your chain and actually do something about it. So like Jacko made the point before that one of the real benefits of it is that it starts just bringing, it trains the body like it's designed. The body's not designed to be moved in isolation. Where calisthenics, it forces you to think about moving the whole chain. And if you want to go and apply that into a football environment, like, like you said, being strong on the ball, um, being able to sort of uh, to resist tackles and, and just be able to balance yourself, move yourself, can transfer forces through the chain. That is such a good general preparation phase for a footballer. And it doesn't involve putting a big heavy bar on your back. Yeah, it's well, literally I, just play. As you're talking now, I'm, I'm thinking, well, think of that crossover or think about you're just you're talking there about some of those movements like take your handstands a lot going on in a handstand there's all these different connections we've got to make and be strong in all these different positions and you think think about in football someone jumping up for a header in the box and they're getting hit by it they're in in between two defenders they've got to, to they've got to the they've got the the jumping element they've got to be strong in the air when their feet aren't even touching the ground and then they've got to actually head the ball and be able to control their body as that impact happens and direct the ball as well as having people hitting them from mm. side to side. Like there's an awful lot going on there. Like just do, can we, can we be better at that? Because that environment is, is something that isn't particularly going to be trained other than just the practice that you do on the field of that. And obviously there's nothing more specific than doing the actual thing you're going to do, but some of those, some of that athletic development movement options, you don't know where you're going to get hit from when you go up for a header um, and being able to move outside of the, 
the realms of normal, the realms of perfect technique. Like we'll often might do a split squat because that's going to be really good for X, Y, and Z. And we're going to load that up because we want to be strong there. But then that means we're going to have to have some parameters that are going to keep us safe in those movements. Whereas if we are going just body weight, we can explore more movement options and give us those... Uh, give us that variability and that robustness to our the guys that we're training, which is only going to help them. It might just be for some people it forms, it's part of of a extended warm up to give them some variety and some moves before they go into something else. It doesn't have to be um, be all and end all and, and nothing else. It, it can be a blended approach dependent on. Now we're always big on it. Just it it just depends on the athlete and the sport they're trying to do. If it's appropriate, yes. If it's not appropriate, no find the most appropriate tool we've just found through our own experience initially um, that then working with some athletes in various different sports there's there's benefits to doing you know a certain calisthenics movement over a traditional barbell movement for that particular purpose and therefore we may use it in certain times of the year and in others we might not I think it's important for coaches to remember as well that we're working with competitive people like whatever level players are playing at they're competitive, they want to improve. And I think that's uh, one of the best things about calisthenics, but also mainly the work that you guys do is that, and I personally done some of the programs, you do, you get hooked on it. You want to, you want to move on to the, like the next level in a way, don't you? You want to master movements and you want to, you want to do the cool stuff that, that looks good and feels good. You don't want to be falling over. And I've done that quite a few times recently, but yeah, it's, um, it's like a, it's, yeah, you know, it's fun and motivating at the same time in that respect that you uh, that you have that like that thing that you're trying to necessarily achieve that can be for some people and other people get motivated by uh, by numbers um, on a bar, for example. But like that a lot of the time we find that a uh, trying to f- find new ways to move your body and, and like you say, do the next almost do the next thing or the next progression. It gives you that that sense of achievement that feels a little bit different to just, um, there's obviously a great sense of achievement when you PB on a lift in the gym. We've all been there as well, but there's, it feel it's felt certainly to us that it's a, feels more like a, a more complete achievement when it's involved the entirety of your body and you being able to control and manipulate that. I don't know if it's just, we've got fluffy in our old age that, um, <laughs> that we like the idea of moving. We like the idea of moving well, but as a coach, you think that, well, actually, yeah, as a baseline, like, all of the athletes I want to work with want need to be able to move well. Yeah, I think just to add to that quickly that, like you're dead right, and that we're dealing with people that are competitive, and within that, and it's not just football; it's in many sports that ego is going to be a part of it. And I think there is something of value and used at the right time, and it shouldn't be taken out of context. What I'm about to say, but humble people. We need to sometimes to get them to understand the value of strength training is to expose what they can't do. Um, if we only ever let them do what they're good at, then it's Okay, that we're only going to get certain results. But a lot of times I've worked in sports where I'm not the biggest guy. And when I walk into a gym, I'm certainly not going to be the strongest. Um, but there is value in, in presenting athletes with problems and challenges, which they are going to be motivated because their ego is going to take a little bit of a hit if they can't. And I think that that's one of the addictive sides of it. You look at a muscle up and you guys should be able to do a muscle up. It's a dip and a pull up. But a lot of people can't. And it, it, there's a certain amount of motivation. And, and these are all coaching tools that they're used at the right time with the right group of people. I'm not saying we do it all the time, but they are things I've tried over the years and had success with in some environments. Um, yeah, and it's just one of those, it's an extra thing that, you, that as coaches, we have an opportunity to, you, to, to manipulate the training environment to get players to buy in. Because I think the, the sort of standard um, 
in my experience of players when they walk into a gym is to refer to like old school bodybuilding training. So they'll do chest on one day, back on another, shoulders on another day. And they think that's uh, the correct way to, to go about it because they don't, they think gym, they think bodybuilders. But we, obviously we try and push a lot of the time that movement is is really key. And I think calisthenics and, and adding some calisthenics movements, like you say, at the right time is is something that needs to be pushed more in, in sports like football because of the fact that you can develop so well, you can create solid foundations and robustness for your body. Yeah, I think one of the challenges as well is that, is that we have people want to look good and they know and they look at the people that train a certain way and, and the, the aesthetic side of it of having a physique um, is sometimes what people want from the gym rather than to actually train like athletes. And that's a certain mindset, again, that comes down to the individual. Some people get it, some people don't. Um, but I think from an aesthetics perspective and then the other benefits, well, no one ever really looks at a gymnast and thinks they've got a terrible rig. Um, <laughs> so is going to body weight training at that level is going to give you a lean, strong physique. And I think that's what footballers want. They don't want, they shouldn't be big. You see a lot of Premier footballers taking the tops off at the end of games or whatever. They haven't got big physiques, but the good ones and those that obviously invest in athletic development have got a solid physique. Yeah, they well, look well put together. Yeah, exactly. And that's, I think that's what a lot of calisthenics athletes, if you want to call them that, or people that train calisthenics look like. We're not the biggest guys in the gym, but you look at them and you go, you know what, you, you look put together. And on top of that, you can actually do something. And that's where the bodybuilding approach lets you down. You can look good, but it doesn't actually do a lot. Yeah. And look like feeling feeling good and looking good being part of that from the training that you've done does have an impact on a sport where like so i played rugby right when you felt good uh it, it helps you mentally when you're going into what is effectively like a physical confrontation it's a battle and football it's the same it's not necessarily quite exactly the same sort of contact as as uh as rugby but I'm, I'm sure that if I was going onto a football field and I felt intimidated by my opposite number compared to me intimidating them just with my physical presence like that's not it's a small win right yeah exactly I actually think it's gonna it's gonna change soon because the way players are playing the way teams are playing now the, the players are a lot smaller they're a lot more technical and um, like a few years back it was you'd pick the, the big players um, the big strong players and I think a lot of coaches are, are reverting back now and they're saying well we don't actually need the big strong players we need the players that are, that are good and that's regardless of the size so you look at some of the best players in the world the likes of Messi I'm thinking of players like Coutinho went over to Barcelona those guys are strong they have to be to play the way they play but they're not big I mean, I've, take this with a pinch of salt because I don't uh, follow football quite as uh, tightly as I should do. I've adopted Huddersfield Town um, through my wife and her family who are uh, avid Huddersfield Town fans. And since their season is sort of, last year was a great year, but the, this year is sort of, we don't quite follow much today. You have to wait a long time to watch a 0-0 draw or a 5-0 draw. <laughs> the the but just, I see these types, of, and I did used to play football when I was a kid and I've been interested in football and whatnot but as with anything in life things go always go around in circles so uh, at, at some point like it's been the same with rugby before when I was coming through at rugby I was told I was too small and you're just, you're just too small so that was the only thing it was just too small and Shane then Williams was too small wasn't he he did all right yeah well so I mean so then Shane and then it was like oh then you get this flurry of like small guys and then um, 
you get like a massive whip, then Joan Lomu comes along and everyone wants to then be big and then it changes and you, you'll get the, I imagine they'll go through these fluxes in, uh, in football as well. But I'd say somebody like Ronaldo, it's difficult to get away from someone. It's not like ridiculously big, but he's flipping well put together and he looks after himself and he's strong and he's fast and he's, if you, how much of the complete package can you be? If, if I was a footballer, that's what I'd be trying to, I'd try to be as much a complete package as possible but you know if you're dealt uh, a big frame as a as a as a, your genetics then you're gonna play to play to your strengths and if you're small you're gonna have to play to you're gonna have to have different strengths um and so i think individually you need to we need to play to our own strengths and as coaches encourage players with that but then in terms of uh, the whole the whole sort of uh direction of whether people are going to have small teams or big teams it's uh well i think the underlying fact within that is that it is any athlete based on whatever their physical makeup is needs to be as you said ben put together well like it's it, that pillar of athleticism and your ability yeah. to move and control your own body weight is central to regardless of whatever player or whatever type of football you want to play you want players that are good athletes and i think what we're talking about with calisthenics and understanding the ability to master your own body weight is developing that foundation athleticism that gives you the movement options you're stable and you're strong for your own body weight and then that provides a framework for you to go and add whatever additional skills whether it's technical skills or sprint skills or change of direction agility skills whatever you want to talk about um you can't do any of that well unless you have those foundations in place. And I think that's what calisthenics can potentially offer in a fun, challenging, playful environment if that is how you want to construct it. I'm glad you said that because I was about to start talking about giving my insight into football tactics, which I do not have any of. <laughs> but that's where I felt like I was going. I was going to say, well, you know, little guys are going to do this and we've got some big guys and we'll, we'll get some balls in the, more balls in the box. So just to go on to your experience and, you, and obviously your match of the day appearance... You guys worked uh, recently with a professional, he was a goalkeeper, wasn't he? Yeah, Chris Maxwell at Preston, actually just seen that he's signed for Charlton, I think. Has I think he? He's moved, yeah, really good guy. And he actually reached out to us. Uh, he's seen some of our stuff on Instagram, was looking for a different um, training approach, something to add to his training, something that was a bit sort of unique and, and looking to be the best that he can be. He's a really, really good guy. And, and very, his, uh, I forget his name, the S&C coach up there, but he was, he was game for it as well and, um, the great thing about Chris was he was trying to he didn't care what anyone else thought mm. and he was like I'm trying to find 1% and I think this could help me so like, would you come and do something and his, his SNC coach was on board he sort of got it it helped, that, it helped that Tom was trying to do his first ring muscle up as well yeah, which we taught him in 30 seconds <laughs> from him being there he's struggling awesome. man. just if it's old script mate we'll sort you out so we fixed that for him but Chris was like, how you get a coach on board yeah, yeah he's teaching ring muscle <laughs> yeah. is that the trick to doing that <laughs> but yeah Chris was um, was sort of playing around with some flag progressions and his handstands and he understood the, the importance of being strong with his hands overhead so if someone's going to fire a shot at him from 10 yards out and he's going to hit his hand he knew that he needed strength at end range to be able to keep the ball out of the back of the net or to, to um, touch it away whatever it might be so I think the, the, the benefits for goalkeeping are much clearer because we understand the need to hit the ground get up shoulder robustness end range strength connection from driving off the feet and then being able to have strong arms and strong body positions with, with hands overhead. Um, but he, he did really well. I'm not sure if he's still using it. We need to probably touch base with him. Um, but he's, uh, he, he definitely was sort of including something different in his training to try and find something a little bit different. But he had a great mindset around athletic training for performance. He was one of the guys who, who really gets it. He would be in the gym when nobody else was. Yeah, I was going to say, we went up there twice and there was not another single person no. at the football club. 
um you know bar the chef who made us a cup of coffee or whatever but it was it and that to me was um yeah like that's and like why i mean he that's what we should be doing be, exactly yeah. he was trying to you know whether he and he was in he just made his way into the Wales squad mm. like whether he plays internationally or premiership or there's gonna be a whole number of factors but what i always try and uh, try to do myself when i was playing rugby was uh, and the thing i liked about chris was that he's just trying to explore what was his best you know is he might you know those of us that aren't we just don't have the ability to be messy but can i be the best i can be in you know the league that i'm playing in am i maximizing what i've got and that is if you if you aren't doing what other people are when everyone else is at home you're doing something extra as long as you're trying to be clever about those extra things that you're doing like you're you're going to put yourself in a better position to reach closer to whatever potential you've like been dealt and I think that's that's for me a sign of success not necessarily what you actually achieved compared to somebody that is gifted amazingly and actually doesn't work so hard but maybe plays at a higher level like which which person has actually made the most of what they've been dealt? It's an interesting approach because speaking to a lot of players, I don't think there'll be that many out there that would take that same sort of approach that he does. And I think you've just proved it, Jacko, with what you're saying about the amount of people in the gym. I don't think that's just that club. It's uh, across the board yeah. and it is it is a battle with coaches to try and um, show players the benefits it can have and the carryover it can have onto the pitch. So for him to speak quite technically in a way, I suppose, about uh, like arms overhead and thinking in, in those positions and being, being able to relate it to handstand. And what was the other movements that you went through with him or was it mainly handstand? Yeah, Splendid. flags, he was looking at his human flag. Obviously, lateral stability is sort of... Um, they were the two main ones yeah. who we were sort of we were focused on. We, we again, it was sort of an addition to the other training that he was doing, but it was. Uh, yeah. I mean, fair play. We'd not, it wasn't like he. It wasn't like at that point we'd done any um, content talking about how this is going to be beneficial for a, certainly not a goalkeeper or even particularly in huge amount of talking about like sport or whatever. But he'd he'd pieced together the whole overhead shoulder stability yeah. and, and and applied it to what he thought he was doing and. Uh, yeah, I think just in addition to that, we also had spent some time with um, the England football physio, Simon Spencer, who's um, he's actually really into calisthenics himself and, and has started using it again with some of the players in, in, in that four minutes. Um, we spent a good few hours with him um, just exploring what it might look like from a sports performance perspective. So it is sort of being out there as a, a potential training tool. And it, it, doesn't, it doesn't have to be about a human flag. And again, you're going to run up to in the in, the football manager or coach and going, I'm going to get my guys with a human flag. Go, we don't need to flag on the, on the pitch, but it's not, that's, it doesn't have to be the point for some people. It is, they want to do that thing, but also what the human flag is, is an expression of what you can do with your body. It shows that you are stable, shows that you're strong, shows that you can connect force. The manifestation is you holding yourself off the ground at 90 degrees um, or parallel to the floor. But actually what that just, it, it, the physical attributes that you need to be able to do that could be so much more valuable. Um, in a, in a sports performance environment. So it is definitely a, an interesting conversation point and it's exciting for us that people are using it and starting to play around with it. And the, the managerial team at England may or may not have been doing some calisthenics. Yeah, they may or may not have been training with our guides, but they have. They might have. <laughs> <laughs> you forgot the fact that it looks pretty cool when you do a flag as well. 
Well, we think there's a lot of room for so? up in the goal celebrations. I mean, you, we, the only problem is football posts yes, are a little bit they're fat. Like, they're hard we to need find. Those yeah. old school football posts, yeah. like back to what you get on the park. Yeah, but then, that's what that's all it would take. Imagine Ronaldo scoring and doing a flag off the post, and then it would just go yeah. nuts. We've got a great photo, actually. We'll send it you if you can use it for the cover of this podcast of me and Jack could in a, an angle flag off the side of the goalpost with Chris Maxwell looking like a, a badass. <laughs> Brilliant. 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 Send me that. I'll put it out, definitely. Yeah, you can have that one. Sure, it's on, okay. unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that must be the only picture you've got. Your shirt's on, you two. No, we've changed now. We've changed. We're not we're doing oh, more yeah. shirts on. Yeah, well, because yeah. it's winter. Make it more... <laughs> yeah, also, Chris, yeah, we're just probably not for now. Tim's <laughs> <laughs> got a spot. Yeah, yeah. Tim's <laughs> got a third nipple. <laughs> just, yeah, we're looking again. Yeah. I'm going to solve this now because people oh, go, I'm going to clear this up. It, it, not, we're trying to just book the trend a little bit in terms of what fitness is about and what, what people are seeing and, and the impressions that we're getting from a body image perspective. So it doesn't all necessarily need to be about who's got the best rig. It's about what your body can do rather than what your body looks like. That's just a mental health thing, I think, is an important message from where male society and fitness society is currently at. So it's a conscious decision. It might be a little bit deep for what you wanted, but I've shared it now to clear up any confusion. I was even with uh, all of my clothes on when I was in Bahrain because you weren't allowed to take your clothes off. (laughs) That's how extreme it's (laughs) And do you just want to... Speak about some of the stuff that you guys got going on. So obviously you've got absolutely loads of stuff out there and we've we've used some of it. Um and I've actually used some of the stuff with the players that we work with as well. But um you've had some big stuff going on recently, haven't you? So do you want to just talk about that yeah. for a couple of minutes? Yeah, so we've ju- we've just launched our virtual classroom, which is an online learning platform. It's sort of designed around sort of a, a professional e-learning environment. Uh, so we've basically taken all of our content with handstands, muscle-ups, human flags, um, and stuck it all in there in a progressive, systematic way in, in which people can learn on a modularized approach. So if you wanted to learn to do a handstand, we've broken it down to sort of four or five modules. Each has got like an end-of-module self-assessment training program, so you can literally walk your way through. There's a full community in there. We've got um, strength, like, like a play and challenges and workout of the week section to it. So it's literally like a complete Calisense resource, probably, I think, probably the one of the most complete ones you'll, you'll find. Um, and it, it might be from, from your audience, if it's coaches or players that are, are looking for something a little bit different or for their own training or if it's a football-specific program, I, I would encourage you to come and have a look because there might be some exercises or drills in there that you don't necessarily need to embark on the whole human fact journey, but there might be some stuff in there which you want to use as part of a prep. Um, it could form part of that movement um, preparation phase or a little bit of a movement challenge for the guys just to get them on in, on board or in the right mindset for training it's the play element of it um so again it's it's a it's a full kind of resource that's got lots of different uh, purposes i hope yeah we've made it we've simplified it in that uh, if you if you if you have membership you get you just have access to everything so it's sort of a one a one membership gets you gets you access to all of that um and we've we'll do a little um coupon special offer for your listeners Ben so uh, we'll get a little discount we'll put that you can put that in the show notes for for guys if they want guys and girls they want to sign up we give them a a special little deal for for month one amazing no that's top really appreciate that lads and uh, I do recommend I'll I'll obviously put all your social media stuff in the show notes as well and I'll post it out when the podcast goes out but I do recommend for coaches to go and check out the way you do and like Tim just touched on then just just use what you need to in your coaching like for if you if players are wanting challenges, they want you want you're able to be a little bit create, creative with your programs 
um, add challenges into the sessions. Like I think this sort of stuff's perfect and it's, it's not necessarily going to take over the whole program, but if you use it wisely and, and you set targets for players and set little goals, I think it can be really effective. Like I said I've, before, I've used it with academy players, but I don't see any reason why first team players, adult players, um, 18s, 21s can't incorporate something into their training. So I do recommend to go and check it out. And uh, thanks a lot for your time today because I know you two have been really busy. So I really appreciate you giving up the time. No, thanks for having me on. Yeah, it's really cool to just to sort of talk about calisthenics in, in a slightly different context and environment. So yeah, I hope some, some of what we talked about has, uh, has resonated with people and they'll have a little bit of a think about how it might fit in. We've also got a podcast. <laughs> yeah, about yeah, that. you need. I'll I'll put on the. Uh, is it just called School of Calisthenics on iTunes? Is it? Yeah. School of Calisthenics podcast. Yeah. Podcast. Sorry. Don't want to get confused. We were, we, there was a podcast the other day that was a audio podcast, and I thought, well, are they not all audio po- podcasts? Oh, well. Tim fascinated me once with the origins of the term podcast. We'll leave that for another time. It's <laughs> <laughs> dragging on. Oh wow. <laughs> That yeah, do you know where it comes from? Yeah, no, don't. <laughs> Wrap it up, Ben. <laughs> Tim, you need to tell me another time. We'll, we'll go on to that. We'll record another podcast on, and we'll discuss that. <laughs> yeah, just about that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure people will be... <laughs> on the end of the email Ben if you would like to know about it. <laughs> <laughs> no, thanks a lot, lads. I'll, uh, I'll wrap it up there and I'll put out all the, all the social media stuff and the, and the details on the podcast in the show notes and when it goes out. But thanks a lot for your time. Perfect. Cheers, Cheers, lads. Big thank you to Tim and Jacko for coming on to the podcast. You can go and follow these guys on Instagram, and they are School of Calisthenics, and on Twitter at School of Cali. I do recommend you go and follow them. They're constantly putting really top information out there, and I think we can take loads of information and include it in our practice with the work we do with players. Um, some of the biggest takeaways for me were the justification of programs so how they actually justify what they're doing and how we can justify doing things like calisthenics in our training to, to coaches and also how they spoke about comparing themselves to Chelsea so not always comparing yourself to a club like that actually thinking a bit behind the reason of doing things and um, knowing the effect it can have on, the, on your performance on the pitch and then the big big thing, and this is what I've experienced with the, the calisthenic work, is the, the challenges and the, the athletic challenges it can give to players. The, the fact that it is essentially just playing around with different movements, but also loads of progressions that you can try and work up to. And it gives the players a, a, a real broad spectrum of movement options as well, which I know the lads spoke about in the episode. So I think they're, they're really good takeaways. Now, the lads are really good in that they gave discount to our listeners. So if you do want to go and check out more information from these guys, they've got a virtual classroom now available, which has got loads of top information on calisthenics, loads of different challenges and ways that you can work through programs. If you go onto their website, they um, have gave a discount code of graduation, so all in capitals. And what you receive is you receive one month for only £15. So it's more than that normally to get the information and there's more than £15 worth of information available um, that Tim and Jacko put out. So go and check it out. You get access to absolutely everything in their virtual classroom and see all the information that they put out there. So you can go and go and claim that discount on their website. 
like I said at the start, we are very close to announcing our next few network meetings. Um, we're looking at an, a meeting in April, a meeting in July, and potentially a meeting in September as well. So the um, locations, the venues, and the speakers will be announced as soon as we get all them confirmed. And we'll put it all out on our social media as we've done before. So please keep an eye out for those. The numbers on our last few meetings have been brilliant, so I hope to keep those going. And please share the meetings with anyone who you may think will benefit. If you've been to the meetings before, share it with your network, let people know, and let's try and drive the numbers up. Also, a big thank you again to everyone that's gave feedback on um, the previous podcast with Mike Boyle. I really enjoyed speaking to Mike and um, all the other podcast episodes as well that people have got in touch about. We're getting more and more feedback all the time and I really do appreciate people getting in touch and letting us know what you found and what you took from the episodes. So please share it with other people and also head over to iTunes and leave us a review. That helps to boost it up, uh, boost the podcast up and get more quality guests um, in like Tim and Jacko, like Mike Boyle, like all these guys that are doing some really great work. Thank you again for listening and we'll speak to you again next week.